Hello and welcome to another episode of the Analysis Podcast with myself, David Seymour. Um, first one for a while, so looking forward to getting stuck back in. Uh, today I am joined by Tom Spring. Hello Tom, how are you doing? Very well, thank you Dave. How are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I've called Tom on early on a Friday morning, so I appreciate that. And um, at the beginning of all these, I, I, I prefer greatly to allow the guest to introduce himself and to tell us a little bit about who they are, uh, what they do, and how they got to where they are today. Yeah, okay. So um, my name's uh, Tom Spring. I'm most recently uh, been employed at AFC Bournemouth in the first team recruitment department as a recruitment analyst. Uh, so that involves identifying talent under uh, the, the clubs, the philosophy, the, the detailed positional profiling that they have. Um, and yeah, so that's my uh, my most recent role. Um, I left there at the end of August off the uh, back of uh, relegation and the combined effects with, with COVID-19. So I'm looking for my next challenge and, and looking forward to it. Brilliant. And uh so how, so how did you get into into that role? Was it straight out of university, Tom? Yeah, I would say I would say the key moments were in the early years, David, where I was attending Bournemouth University. I applied for there was an advertised unpaid in, internship within the AFC Bournemouth Academy as performance analyst. So that was working within the academy age groups and on a on a main basis with the under 18s, the youth team. Uh, the club were in the first season in the championship at the time, um, and it was it was a real learning curve to be honest. You know, working within a low budget. You know, my first year at a professional football club, getting to grips with understanding those dynamics and and trying to be as resourceful as possible whilst trying to manage my time between studying at university and and trying to make a name for myself in in the world of football. Um, and then after after that, I swiftly moved into um, under 21 recruitment uh, as an intern still and that was in my third year of university and then in my last year of university I was still doing a little bit but more for the first team side of things in in the recruitment side heading to games and and doing reports and then uh, upon my graduation I was I was offered a contract and I accepted and that was uh, full-time within the first team setup so that's uh, that's my journey. And was was that always the plan to to go into recruitment? Were you a big football manager fan as a teenager and wanted to go into that side of things, or was it more of a sort of a, a happy accident that you found these internships at the time? Um, it's a good question. I I loved the performance analysis side of the game. Um, I loved working with players, improving them, or or giving them information to you know help aid their development and improve them in a game. And then when, when I was offered the chance to, to go and see the scouting and recruitment side of things, I'd say that originally I wasn't uh, attracted by that or interested in that. But when I was in that environment, I, I got the bug for it and I fell in love with it. And that the scouting and recruitment side definitely surpassed um, my interest in performance analysis for sure. And then what was it I mean was it just analysis that you were interested in or was there a coaching aspect as well that potentially you thought you might go down that path yeah i did I did some coaching in my teens um, when I lived out in out in dubai um, and that that was good I did enjoy the coaching side um, but i I lacked 
I lacked a bit of confidence, to be honest with you, in, in the coaching side. And and for me, I, I was not happy to fall away from it, but I definitely had a preference for the analysis side of the game, to be honest with you, David. So so moving on to your, your time then at Bournemouth, um, obviously working in analysis, did you find that most of your time was spent looking at statistics, looking at data? Was it watching players you know, end on end watching players uh, on Y Scout, or were you were you actually going to games to watch watch players? Yeah, so when uh, when I was in performance analysis in the academy with the youth team, it was more about uh, clipping and, and coding out some aspects of of the game that we or that the manager at the time wanted to see. Um, so that was focused on goalkeeper distributions, point of attack. Um, and then patterns of play clips, you know, Bournemouth has a very uh, specific and meticulous philosophy and it's important to identify that. And it was in, even more important to find or gather those insights to make sure that they were actionable for the coach in training. And then when we moved to the, the scouting side originally, it wasn't much um, analysis based because I was at university at the time. Um, and then... So that was more about um, just heading to games and reporting under the under the uh, the MO that was that was given to me. But then when we when I got my full time job, that's when it became you know the data was there, the 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 video work was was heavy as well. But yeah, the, the data side of things came much more into it when I was full time in the role. Did did you feel that the way you approach things on the recruitment side differed from when you were purely looking at performance analysis? Because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I presume at first you were just looking at Bournemouth's existing players at a youth level or under-21 level or whatever. And then going into the recruitment side of things, you were suddenly um, monitoring players that weren't your own players. And so you were coming at them with, I guess, a fresh pair of eyes. So did you find that you were going through the same process uh, to look at players that you were in the first place or did you have to change your approach entirely? No, the, the, the process stayed the same and that was the benefit of when a club like Bournemouth and, and there's clubs around the world, Manchester City, um, Arsenal, Tottenham, they, they all have clearly defined philosophy. So when you're working with, with players and when you're scouting players, the not the message but the the trends are still the same. You're still looking for players that can perform aspects of the philosophy uh, to to the level that you deem satis- satisfactory or to deem uh, that you deem well. So the the philosophy was always consistent, and you just change the aspect. You just change what what you're looking at to as opposed to analysing the players when you're working in performance analysis you're then finding the players that could then fit your philosophy and mold them into it a little bit more and we'll come on to philosophy in a second because that's an area i'd like to delve into with with the performance side um how much did how much scope did you get to deliver that directly to the coaches or to the players um were you sort of given just your own thoughts and the coaches and players were able to sort of pick and choose what they want or were you given a much uh much bigger scope as such um when i was in the academy in the performance analysis i didn't really have uh too much dialogue or correspondence with the manager there were uh, the under 18 manager that is um 
it was it was mainly done through the uh, academy head of performance analysis. Um, so my work fed into him, and he would then deliver the the presentation to the manager and the players. But at at that time, that that's still a positive because you know your work is being valued by him, and it's being fed back into the players. So you know that your your work feeds into the process well. And I mean, what one thing I I hear about a lot is that for performance analysts or I guess even recruitment analysts that if there is a change in manager that potentially can can completely change you know their direction of work but obviously with Bournemouth for a long period of time it was you know it was one coach and uh did did you I mean I don't know if you found that yourself from talking to other analysts but did you find that that longer period of time having that coach in place for a longer period of time enabled you to to, I guess, perform your work a lot easier and a lot better. Yeah, I think that the two biggest skills that you could have uh, if you're working in a scouting and recruitment department is understanding of the game and then adaptability to differing philosophies, different DNAs of players that are that are wanted by whoever's in charge. I was very fortunate that the... The manager was, I only worked under one manager. So the philosophy was always the same. And, but you see nowadays, Dave, that, um, clubs have philosophies. It's not really managerial led now. The clubs want a philosophy and then they choose and align their head coach or their manager to, to fit the, fit the philosophy and the DNA of the football club. So that's where the game's going and there'll only be more of that. Um, but to, to answer your question, I was very fortunate and, um, the fact that that there was no managerial change was was a benefit for me because it only strengthened my ability to find players under uh, under the manager's philosophy at that time. So it's interesting you talk about the the shift from the manager's philosophy into a club wide philosophy. Uh, I guess it's a bit of a, a two part question, really. Um, I'd be interested interested to know whether that shift occurred whilst you were at Bournemouth and then I guess why that shift occurred from the manager to the club I think that structures of football clubs have changed um, where back in the day and uh, not going back too far maybe five five to eight and ten years ago football clubs were run solely by a manager who had control over all aspects, and then I can't I can't really place uh, a specific time, but I it's clear that um, boards of directors found that that was too much pressure on the manager, and then you saw the the influx of the change of structure where sporting directors or technical directors, directors of football, you know, there's there's many different names for for that sort of role nowadays was brought in, and that's to handle the operation side of the game, uh, the operation side of the football club, where that allows the manager to focus solely on his philosophy and, and coaching the team to match that and, and just focus his expertise on that, which I think is, I think is a positive, uh, is a positive move for the industry. Um, like I say, it's happened over five to eight years ago, I'd say. Um, but it's, I think it's a positive move, yeah. And it just allows the coach to do what he does best. It allows the sporting director to do what he does best or she does best to manage 
um, manage the, the background aspects of the game, recruitment, performance analysis, sports science, medicine, obviously with expert, expert practitioners heading up those disciplines. I'd like, I'd like to go into the sort of recruitment side of things and start to break that down a little bit. And I mean, I guess there's potentially a different process at every club, but Bournemouth were obviously you know, very active in the transfer market in their time in the Premier League. And I'd like to, first of all, just talk about whether, or just talk about the, the overall process that was involved. I mean, for one position, for example, how many players would you look at? Would you rank these players in terms of, of preference, in terms of uh, value? And I guess how much would you reflect on previous transfers as to what went well, what perhaps didn't go as well, and whether that impacted any future decisions on top of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I won't give too much away out of, uh, out of respect for my, my, former, uh, my former employers. Um, but the, the basis of the process, David, is we have um, an MO from, from the manager uh, and the technical director who work hard to assign an, uh, attributes and skill sets to every position across the pitch. And that may include different types for one position, for example. And then it was our job to, as scouts and as recruitment analysts, to uh, figure out what markets, what territories can we, uh, can we capably scout. So, you know, we can't scout or we couldn't be able to scout um, markets all over the world because we were a very small team of, of 10, 11 at the, at the time. But so we assigned the, what we deemed as the most valuable regions to cover. And that was solely covered by a person. And we would, it was, it was easy because in, in a sense where you could, we were only signing young progressive players. So the age is you can um, not dismiss, but you can, filter your your scouting to only players under the age of 23 24 uh, as it was at Bournemouth and then any players that flat that you flagged up were then put into you know a list and then it was about whether that player um, ranked in terms of your own judgment as a scout and then it would be passed on to um, a senior member of staff for follow-up action and then it would eventually get to the stage where if uh, the seniority of the group um, concurred that it was a good player to bring forward, the recruitment analysis work would then begin where you provide dossiers on the player encompassing all aspects uh, as well as a video presentation of his strengths, weaknesses, just to give a flavour uh, to the manager. And then it would be up to the manager to watch the player and make a decision as to whether he was right for the manager and right for the football club as well. Having spoken uh, on previous episodes to different performance analysts or just first team analysts, there seems to be, uh, I wouldn't say rigid, but there's certainly a structure to their day or at least certainly to their week. Did you find that with working in recruitment, there was such a thing or was it very much that it really just depended on the time of year, uh, the the needs at the time, whatever was going on? Yeah, I, I, my, my personal uh, preference is to work within within a routine. I, 
I, I prefer it, and that's definitely how you get the best out of me if I if I have a routine to work through. Um, it was very good at Bournemouth because the, the my line manager at the time was um, his philosophy was to provide free freedom within a framework, and he allowed you to manage your time effectively. So it, it was positive in that sense, and I found that I definitely made a routine for myself. Um, However, when a transfer window comes, or in the lead up to a transfer window as well, it's very ad hoc, very, very manic, and you have to be adaptable and you have to be able to react to change um, very quickly. And you, you know, you have to be proactive to that. But throughout the season, uh, non transfer window, a very routine, structured based uh, days and weeks, but transfer window, you, you, you have to be ready for change. And obviously, we talk about you know ready for change. How uh, how much do you prepare for the possibility that someone that's potentially seen as a regular first teamer you wouldn't be expecting to leave suddenly hands in a transfer request? How ready do you have to be to have certain amount of players scouted for that position ready to go in case that happens? Yeah, well, scouting departments are set up now where. As I as I mentioned before, the the attributes and skill sets are aligned to or attributed to the uh, positions across the football pitch. It's a scout's job or a recruitment analyst job if you're encompassing scouting within that role as well, like like my one at Bournemouth was. You you have to re- you have to try and scout all of those positions because it's it's short termism if you just scout for what you need because how can you how can you plan effectively if you think oh um, a centre back is coming to the end of his contract and he's not going to uh, renew it? Obviously, that's a trigger that you need to replace your centre back. But w- we need to be able to scout players for the long term. So you need to scout your centre backs, your right backs, all at the same time, so that when that uh, when that time arises where there is a trigger point. Um, to a uh, departure of a player or a potential department uh, departure of a player, you have the work already done and you're ready to present that. And scouting and recruitment is different. Scouting is the talent identification process. Recruitment is the procurement of the player. So to be more effective, scout in the long term, scout everything. And when the recruitment uh, phase comes, you're ready because all your work is already done. Does does that make sense, David? Yeah, absolutely. When did this sort of process start to occur? Because obviously, the the old school uh, format seemed to be that it was the, the manager making all the, calling all the shots, and he maybe had his team of scouts that would go out and watch games and uh, and ring him up and say, "I oh, like the look of this player." I mean, <laughs> I I think we're of a similar age, Tom. So it's probably before before your time as such, but. I mean, how recent is that change to to the, the current process? Um, I would say that it's a similar a similar time to the inception of the the sporting director role, the football uh, technical director role, director of football role. I think that's when when those expert practitioners were um, brought into the game. They they introduced it, and I, I would I would go as far as saying by. Uh, Monchi is probably the pioneer of that. Um, I, I've read a lot over this this time. Um, the Monchi, I've, I've watched the Monchi masterclass videos, and he was 
he covered all of that. So I would say that he's the pioneer and it was the inception of the those sporting director roles where that process changed. Well, what's your, I guess, your biggest frustration in terms of recruitment or just in the game in general today? I had a chat with someone uh, a few months ago who, sa- who said to me that it was finding uh, a player who looks brilliant, who was playing in a, a league in the middle of nowhere and then and then finding out that they are part of the the Red Bull group or just like another uh, sort of set of, an- another organisation as such. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts on your biggest frustration? Um, I think uh, to, to answer the question, you, you can't have room for frustration or emotion in recruitment or, or scouting, to be honest, because you are going to get those hurdles. And, you know, I'd say the biggest, the biggest thing to be aware of is you could do all this work on a player. You could scout him 10 times you, and he fits your profile superbly well in your opinion but in the decision maker's eyes he you know he might not fit the 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 profile that you you think he has so if you do all this work and you know this player gets to the manager um you know for his assessment and the manager turns around and says no uh i'm gonna i'm gonna choose uh, i'm gonna select this player over over this player that that's a that's a tough moment to take um but you have to accept it and you have to, you have to go on and be motivated to find the next one. So that's, uh, that's probably one. The other one, as, as you mentioned, is uh, when you come across a player who's, uh, unobtainable, like you say, part of another organization. Um, that's, that, that's, diff- that's a difficult one as well. Um, so I'd say those two are probably the two biggest ones, David. What, what are your feelings on those kind of groups as such where, uh, large investors are buying clubs in different leagues. Um, do you feel that's a positive in terms of uh, enabling you know, recruitment at different levels and allowing players to grow under the organisation? Or do you think that it's an issue and potentially it's allowing clubs to get around the sort of uh, player hoarding that Chelsea have been accused of in the past? I, I'm very much for it. I think that it's a very innovative business model uh, you know the strategy is very 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 clever i think that it provides a platform where it actually gives players a chance if you think about it david because if uh, if you take man city for example you know they have a club in the premier league a club in la liga a club in the mls so it, it provides a platform for the player to go to his uh, relative level and then if he progresses and exceeds and does well, he then has the opportunity to go to the, the level above that, which will then become relative to his ability. And then it's exposed to a higher level of competition, um, a higher platform to showcase your abilities. And I just think that that's, that's a positive aspect from the player development perspective. I think it's very clever as well from the club side because it shows that you can protect your assets if they are you know unhappy at one club they could go to the sister club and then you know that that solves a potential problem from a a personal perspective of the player for example um but i'm very much for it i think it's um a clever a clever business model from from football groups you know conglomerates holding companies whatever you want to call them 
Um, and it's also a good platform for the player. So yeah, I'm very much, I'm very much for that. Is, is there an area that you see recruitment developing in? Is there an area for growth that perhaps we're, we're not using as such as an industry currently, or perhaps is just an area of oversight from clubs? Or do you feel that the way the recruiting process is done right now is already comprehensive enough? I think, um, it is, it is very comprehensive, the whole process and, and the, the scouting side, the data side, you know, that's only going to get bigger. And then the understanding of character and personality, that's also only, only going to get bigger as well. So the whole talent identification process is very comprehensive and very thorough and, and very good. Um, it will naturally get bigger. It will naturally grow. I think that'll be more, you know, I think that there'll be more algorithms um, developed that can, in the analytic side, that the predictive models will only get refined and developed more. And that will be where you see the, the shift come, um, where it becomes even more comprehensive. Um, I don't necessarily feel off the top of my head now that the recruitment and scouting industry is is missing anything um but i definitely think that there's room to grow for these algorithms to be developed further that lead to more sophisticated and more reliable predictive models so so how important do you feel uh data uh, analytics uh is in the recruitment or in the scouting process or do you still believe in the importance of someone passing the eye test, a scout or someone who works in recruitment being able to see the talent before looking at the data? I, I value both so highly and balance is definitely the key word here. You know, there's an equal amount of success stories with both modern data-driven scouting recruitment processes as there are with the more traditional methods. There is a vital place for both within the discipline. You know, traditional scouts... Um, should accept that the game is moving that way and they need to be able to embrace the modern methods with data analytics, you know, which is metric assessment in the scouting phase. And conversely, data scientists and data analysts um, would, would get good use and find it beneficial to tap into the knowledge of the game of, of the traditional scouts to gain a better understanding of that. But my overarching philosophy is to see data analysis and data analytics as a tool to either supplement your main markets because if you if you have a clearly defined philosophy and dna for each uh, each player each position sometimes the data can't show you that and you have to rely on your on the on the eye on your eye but it can the data can back that up and it can also convey to you that you might be wrong on a player that your eye has been dismissive of uh, previously. So it can point you and create a signal to say that you may need to potentially revisit that player. Um, you know, data analytics is a great tool. It, it creates sig signals for you, can point the compass in the direction you want by predicting players who might be a good fit for the club. But that's only providing the insight. The, the next stage is to then make it actionable. So go and see this player live and see if the, the, the data is, is, uh, is telling the truth, for example, and that you can see this player being a fit for your football club. Is there one thing, or it could be a piece of technology, it could just be a basic tip that you have 
um, that you have found to benefit you greatly in the uh, analysis process? There's there's many, to be honest. I I value it's integral to have a good um, reporting and shortlisting system, but that reporting and shortlisting system has to be uh, developed by you guys to your needs uh, or to the club's needs. Uh, video platforms such as Scout or Instat and um, a data visualization platform such as Tableau. And and you mustn't underestimate Transfermarkt as well. You know, Transfermarkt is very good. It has it's a central database for so much uh, useful information. So I would I value all of those tools. I think, uh, David, that the one development of, of football will be there'll be a company or there'll be um, someone who has this idea to that can be able to bring all of those into one place because at the minute you've you've got separate things you know Y Scout and and Scout Seven for example are are different platforms uh, that do different things but both are trying to do the other thing you know Y Scout is is a incredibly useful video platform tool that has aspects to that allows you to report and shortlist players now. But ISF, um, their main uh, selling point, perhaps, um, is is the reporting side of things. So I feel that there will be one huge development that will come in a couple of years will be a platform that encompasses all a reporting and shortlisting system, a video platform and a data platform. And I think that will be that will be coming very soon, to be honest. Brilliant. And uh, Tom, we've, we've actually raced through these questions. I've got one last one for you. Um, if, if you had to, and this is something I ask every guest if you had to give one piece of advice to yourself uh, before you started this journey what would that be and why to myself oh that's a tough one um, it could be to any to any if I was, or to any yeah. if you don't do what you want to do <laughs> if I could while, while I get, while I submit this answer I'll think about uh, I'll think about advice myself but my advice for someone who wants a job within the industry is you know, if you're young and you have a desire to work in the industry, strategically plan who you're going to target to sell your abilities to. Um, because if you can't just, unfortunately, the way the industry is, you can't suddenly go and get a job at a Premier League club, for example. So strategically plan who could benefit the most and you could be most uh, important to. Embrace working unpaid in an internship for a period of time because that's essential to to show that you can you can handle that that um, not pressure but handle the um, the stress of you know working for free but you know you're trying to make a name for yourself so you know you need to embrace that and be prepared for that and continually build and develop the knowledge of the game and your relationships within it I think the advice for myself is when you when you're in the job, it's it's so consuming and i was very devoted and very committed to my job but i when i got home for example i i wish i started to continue learning more and continue um thinking about different aspects of the game because now you see data scientists come in so at the minute i'm i'm learning more about um what i'm trying to learn about what the process of a data scientist is so that if i ever work with one uh, in the near future I'm able to communicate with with that person effectively. So the advice to myself, David, would be to, even on the tough days, just try and 
keep your motivation high to continue learning and continue developing and improving. That's brilliant. Thank you, Tom. That was a fantastic interview. Um, hopefully, to those listening, you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, thanks very much for, for coming on, Tom, and for, for giving up your time. And uh, we will definitely be watching very closely to see what your next role is uh, in the game. <laughs> thank you very much. And I appreciate your time as well, David. Uh, thank you for listening to everyone. Um, of course, if you are a Total Football Analysis fan or a fan of the podcast, please listen and please, uh, by, the way, by the way, submit uh, any questions or names that you want to hear to our to our Twitter page. And uh, we've also got our weekly magazines that are coming out every week as well. So by all means, check those out as well uh, as the website. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.